Hey everyone, what's up? How's it going? Thank you for joining us. This is the Cuban Chaos Podcast. I am Max, and I am here with Jakob. Hey everybody. And yeah, today we are going to be interviewing to Blave. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Explain how you're connected to the magic community, specifically the cube community? Sure, yeah. I'll start with a brief self-introduction. I have uh, been playing magic since 94. Like most players, I've taken some breaks, one quite long one, almost a whole decade. But you know what they say, nobody ever really quits magic. <laughs> and yeah. so when I came back to magic, it was in 2010. And it wasn't very long after that that Wizards launched the cube online. And I had already been cubing or playing only playing limited. And so the cube was just very interesting to me as a novel format i remember still like the first time i cracked a cube booster online i like didn't know half the cards because of the long break i'd been on and like i almost timed out and i picked like parallax wave over one of the sorens one of the black white sorens because i just like totally timed out while reading so i started on parallax wave as my very first cube pick uh, <laughs> Parallax Web still is in the cube and the Zorans are gone, so uh, who's the winner <laughs> <Yeah>. here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess it was my destiny. You mentioned that. Is that one of the cards on your signature spellbook, or is that just like a random <laughs> trivia? Well, you know, I was looking for an eighth card, and I didn't come up with it, but maybe, having told that story, I realized that that should be my final slot, Parallax Web. So as for how I'm connected to the community, after my first taste of cube, I wanted two things. So back then, Cube wasn't nearly as frequently available on Magic Online. So I wanted to be able to play Cube when Cube wasn't available, and then also to be able to play my own Cube. So I started a play group to uh, play Cube Online. I'm sure you're familiar with the... I mean, you do it too now. Uh, so this was around, I guess, late 2013, 2014 that we started. Co started with a copy of the... Uh, the vintage card, you know, Mo the mocks and the Power Nine weren't online yet when we started. So we started with a copy of The Cube, which was a legacy. And uh, from there, I evolved it my own way. And then when the Power came out, you know, we started Power Cubing. Grew this group. And I still, uh, you know, the playgroup's gone through, you know, mutations, changes over time. We don't cube together the same way. But uh, I still play with some of the people that I met through doing that. So, like, Cube has been core to my like return to magic to i don't know to how i enjoy magic since i've started playing again for the last decade really and you were largely in in charge of the cube list at that point um or did you just always follow the magic online well no i i did it so i started with a copy of the magic online cube but then you know we all quickly realized that there were especially you know back then there were some cards that just didn't make sense and so yeah then i basically modified the magic online cube until you know my cube was distinct you know still like just a generic good stuff cube but definitely my own design different themes came to the forefront stuff like that sweet does it still exist in uh, in a list version somewhere do you still have it uh yeah it hasn't been updated since maybe 2015 or whenever the last time we played but it's still on cube uh tutor of course there was no cube cobra back then so we used cube tutor yeah. 
but it's still cool to go back in time and look at what 2015 was like in cube terms. So yeah, um, I do have a card representing this cube on my signature spell book. So I definitely thought about that oh, while I was creating my spell book, of course. So do you want to go to your signature spell book with this? Yeah, you want to lead off on that with my signature spell book and then people understand what kind of wizard I am? Yeah, that would be great. Sounds good. Okay, I thought this was quite a fun challenge or a challenge, I don't know, uh, exercise, idea, game. Anyway, <laughs> the first card in my signature spell book is Lash Knife Barrier. Oh, <laughs> I put that one in there because it's a catastrophe of a card. <laughs> why? why? Why did they make this? First of all, it does not need to cantrip. <laughs> and secondly, it's just, it's just very hard to understand. And I think that part they didn't realize back then. But, you know, how does your opponent feel when they attack a 3-3 into a 2-2 and a 1-1 and you double block? <laughs> And then they just click through damage assignment on MTGO and none of your creatures die and their creature dies. Yeah. So <laughs> just to, to uh, say what it is for people who don't know, it's for two in the white and enchantment that cantrips. And That's right. source would deal damage to a creature you control it use that much minus one instead. I was yeah. waiting for the uh, Crypt Rats call out. I was, I was waiting for, you know. Oh, the sure. Crypt, Crypt Rats barrier. Oh, there's so many crazy things i uh <laughs> had actually a, they had the invasion flashbacks last year to kick off the pandemic and uh i won six in a row which was quite epic for me wow and uh i had some very nice back-to-back -back last night barrier decks and the fact that people would just pass the cards so late was a key component in that <laughs> that streak that win streak uh, sure. The card's crazy. Not good for limiting. Next card in yep. my spell book. It's, uh, this is the one that I picked to represent the uh, Cube Libre. That was the name of our cube group. So this was our power cube after Vintage Masters came out online. This cube was only ever online, never in paper. And so the card is Ill-Gotten Gain. Cost two and two black. Oh, sorry, it's a sorcery. Four mana, black enchantment. Exile, Ill-Gotten Gain. Each player discards his or her hand then returns up to three cards from his or her graveyard to her hand. So it's like a combination regrowth, storm card, hellbent deck card that punishes people who like to keep cards in there. And I just, what a, what a, that's so much to pack into one card. Your opponent loses their hand, you get a new hand picked from the graveyard. Wild and crazy effect. It's fun like balance or all those other effects where you find like, hidden ways to kind of break the symmetry or whatever, you know? Oh, that's, mm -hmm. that's a sweet choice for a card. Do you think it could hold up in uh, nowadays MTGO Vintage Cube? Honestly, maybe. I thing is, it's like a fair bit worse than Yawgmoth's will. So maybe it doesn't quite have a home. It's a lot of fun, but I don't know. Yeah, this to me feels like like probably maybe the best place for it cube wise would be like live the dream cube or something because oh my goodness yes it has that kind of commander feel um where it's just like a bit more fun than it is like super hardcore competitive but i mean i could see it being very competitive too like if you're able to break the symmetry well enough yeah i mean it was definitely a bomb in my cube but 
that was also, you know, like there was a supported archetype built around like Lion's Eye Diamond, ill-gotten gains, just like you would abuse the um, Yawgmoth's will, you know. So it was definitely not trying to do totally fair things, but the the dagger, the kicker of dagger in their hand, the icing mm-hmm. on the cake for me with this card. It's so fun. This is a great choice. I forgot about this card. Nice. Next card up is uh, Oracle of Moldaya. This card, I think almost anyone who plays Cube knows this card. Yeah. Iconic. It's a three and a green, four mana, creature, elf, shaman, two, two. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Play with the top card of your library reveal. You may play lands from the top of your library. That is so much value for green. So when I, I mentioned that I'd taken quite a long break from magic. And so when I came back, this card was new and I had an old player's viewpoint of green. I'm talking 1990s viewpoint of green and value was not accessible to green. So to see this design just changed how I thought about green. I was like, it blew my mind. I was just addicted immediately. And the fact that it was legal and standard with Jace, so they just gave you the easiest combo in the world to like (laughs) feel like a great player. Wow. Just Oracle's amazing. I'm surprised it wasn't in um, Zendikar Rising. I think it was probably too strong. Because they put it in Jumpstart, so they want more around. Right. Uh, but it's just, I don't know. You see that when they brought this effect back on Corsair of Krufix, they had to tone it down. Right. Other similar creatures, they always only get like a portion of her effect. Never yep. the whole thing. But I'm, for Cube, I'm kind of happy that um, you know have different variations of this effect, even though this is clearly the OG and the best one of them. Oh, for sure. This is an effect that I like to have access to in different ways because the, you know, base green lands deck in cube is a lot of fun and it it needs a density of this effect. It couldn't work if the only one was Oracle and particularly Corsair because it can offset the payments from Fastbond is Mm -hmm. uh, if you're doing the Fastbond version of the deck, it's even more important than Oracle. Yeah. Corsair is also great against the uh, aggressive decks in terms of like the Body. Oh, I mean, two, four for three, that's thick. And the life gain, too, nasty. Shuts them right down. Yeah. Next card, we're going to take it all the way back to 94, and I'm going to holler at a card that I opened in my very first booster pack Black Vice. <laughs> that card is not fun. Uh, what were they thinking? As a, like, magic in that day was not fast, it was hard to empty your hand. Um, <laughs> So if somebody spends one mana on turn one and all of a sudden you're taking two or three every turn before you can even, you know, start doing something when you play your nightmare on turn six, you're nearly dead. That's a lot of damage. Just, I don't know. I guess I, (laughs) I love prison guards. I love unfun guards. I love punishing guards. I don't know why, but Black Vice, I just. I put so many of my friends in a black vice when I was a kid. It has to be on my list. Do you think that um, this card would have any legs in like some kind of cube archetype nowadays where you like force your opponent to draw cards or something like that? Making your opponent draw cards sounds absolutely suspicious. Yeah. So I don't know. There was <laughs> that uh, Fevered Visions deck or whatever. Right. So it's not absolutely impossible. Maybe as like the kill con and some sort of like taking turns decks but 
they take it on their turn, so I'm not even sure how that would work. Also, I didn't read the card, uh, just in case anyone's unfamiliar. Black Vice is a one-mana artifact, just costs one cheap colorless. As Black Vice enters the battlefield, choose an opponent. At the beginning of the chosen player's upkeep, Black Vice deals X damage to that player, where X is the number of cards in their hand line. So if you have more than four cards, you're getting squeezed by the Vice. And it also has amazing Richard Thomas art. Uh, you know, this was one of the first cards to showcase that stuffy doll getting tortured in various different ways that has now become iconic in magic. Yeah, it's my uh, magic online avatar. I do like love stuffy doll. <laughs> Speaking of, for anyone who doesn't know, this card is like the opposite of the rack, kind of. Next card, um, Volrath Stronghold. This used to be in the cube online, and I miss it. Uh, it's a legendary land. You can tap and add one to your mana pool. You can also spend one and a black and tap it and put target creature from your graveyard on top of your library. So it's the precursor to Academy Ruin and uh, is it Heliod's Hall of Generosity? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a huge sleeve. I didn't know that. $150 for one. Ooh. Yeah, not the magic online though. No, just four ticks there. So this is another cube special for me. I always thought there should be a lot for Primeval Titan to do, but you don't need to be playing Primeval Titan to get a lot out of this land. It, yeah. uh, you know, Black has, you know, so many creatures with great enter the battlefield effects and being able to repeat them. Just the inevitability of your opponent having to deal with your best creature over and over completely changed the game. Uh, I'll talk briefly about a concept that relates to Time Spiral Remastered, actually, uh, called Imp Tilt. Uh, so there's a card, a Stinkweed Imp, I hope you all know it, has <laughs> yeah. Fake Death Touch and Dredge 5. So you play it, and your opponent, you know, often just has to either use a good removal spell or trade a good creature with it to get through it. So they do that. And then you dredge the Imp and you put it down then they have to use another good creature, good removal spell. And, you know, I think maybe they think at some point you'll run out of cards to dredge, but your library's 40, so you can dredge it a few more times, and they just keep throwing away their resources into the imp and lose the game over it. And that's why it's called Imp Tilt, because <laughs> they, they've gone on tilt, and you have to get around the Stinkweed Imp another way. And uh, Volra Stronghold can create stronger versions of the same situation. Yeah. And... Uh, Anything that just, you know, inevitability, prison. <laughs> I love it. So that's why I picked Full Restaurant. Yeah, I do remember playing it in uh, earlier versions of the Magic Online Cube. And I also do remember that it's not an easy card to play somehow. Like very often I disagreed with um, how my opponents played it. Like how, how many, like basically they would activate it for anything that they had in their graveyard, even if it wouldn't be great on the board. Yeah, that's right. That's a really good point because you're denying yourself your next draw step. So you have to be sure that what you put on top is going to do the thing you need it to do on the battlefield. Yeah. So you can just lock yourself out of the game if you don't think enough about it. But Yeah. It's a sweet utility land, though. I like it. Uh, random rules question for you guys. Sure. Uh, if you have, if you have, the, um, have that land and if you have Oracle uh, Moldiah in play, and you have like an MDFC creature in your graveyard, and you put it on top of your library. You can play it with the uh, Oracle, right? Land. Yes, but Absolutely. only as the 
only as the land. Okay. okay. Is that is that true? I failed a double face card rules question earlier today, so I'm not even going to comment. I am just sure because I saw it. Um, I don't know if it was a Magic Online or maybe on Arena, but it does work. Well, uh, whether it, uh, <laughs> whether you can do it on MTGO and whether you should be able to do it are kind of different questions, but. Yeah, I think. I was, I think yeah, I, but I think it's more likely to be a bug where it doesn't work than one where it works. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. I was gonna say that the rules question I just referred to, MTGO also failed it. So. Oh, okay. Well, that? It's, it's not airtight. It's the interaction between um, Valky and Jace, Rin's prodigy. I didn't know that transforming and non-transforming double face cards were treated differently by the rules. You know, I read the double face card rules when they came out in Innistrad and didn't bother updating that knowledge. So I didn't understand the interaction, but uh, Magic Online didn't understand the interaction either and returned Valky to the battlefield instead of transforming it in the Cosmic Imposter, which is what I thought would happen, or leaving it in exile forever, which is what is supposed to happen. Just like when you try to uh, transform any other clone Jace. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, it was was mind-bending for me. But at least I got my Valky back, and that actually mattered a lot. That's a complex one. Like, I could see getting that wrong for sure. Yeah, so I didn't know about playing the back side of the thing. Or wait, are they... I <laughs> I don't look at new cards. Are The land side is on the back, right? And the spell's on the front. Yes. But you can still play the back from the top yeah. of your library. But... I'm I'm quite sure that it works like that. I saw it happen. I also saw in Twitch chat people talk about it. I'm pretty sure that this is supposed to work. I believe you. I just yes, I was but right I not to comment. Like I don't know. Rules. So <laughs> I'm just also trusting people and forgot which people I was I'm trusting. So I mean, <laughs> all the rest doctor, I guess. Right. Well, I've kind of derailed this. So uh, <laughs> if you want to continue with your spellbook. Sure. So uh, next up, I have the, the Dark Horse slot. I had another card in. We'll leave it out, though. It's something I brewed around when I was a kid. It's still in the Magic Online queue. But instead, I'll go with first card I ever goof-grabbed in a Magic Online queue, Parallax Way. Um, it's fallen a little bit from its heyday. Uh, wow, it has a ton of text, too. So just in case anybody is not familiar, it's part of a cycle from uh, Nemesis. It's uh, an enchantment, it's white, it costs two and two white, so four total. has fading five, those are counters you put on. It's a brain-breaking card if you don't know it, because you have to understand the fading counters. It's a whole mechanic. Remove a fade counter from Parallax Wave, exile target creature. When Parallax Wave leaves the battlefield, each player returns to the battlefield all cards he or she owns, exiled with Parallax Wave. So first thing you need to notice is that it has the old uh, Oblivion Ring templating. So... There's tricks you can do where you exile their creature forever. You put the exile ability, you blink the wave. Dunzo. Its peak in the cube was probably when Brago was around. You know, you could blink all their stuff, blink the wave, get all your fading counters back, you know, all kinds of tricks, you know, do all your ETBs twice, although Brago's already flipping them. Um, it's very good in White Weenie because it's a one-sided wrath. You just falter all their things away. Uh, it's a very flexible card. It's a player's card. It solves so many problems. Yeah. It has counters that you can proliferate. It does just a million things. I think that's why it hangs around, even though it's not totally competitive still in the vintage. It's just such 
an iconic and multi-purpose car. Yeah, I do still like it as a sideboard card, basically. I think it's very rare that you will get all the cards you need to main deck this, but as a sideboard option, it definitely has utility. And if you're ever talking about, you know, non-MTGO cube, you know, any type of community cube, I forget what it's called. I think maybe Flipper of Fate. Yep. The, it's a newer blink card and it lets you blink an enchantment. And uh, I've certainly seen this in some lists. So I think that, I mean, that's just the TKO with Parallax Wave. So maybe those two will meet. Yeah, and the... Uh... MTGO Vintage Cube, there's containment trees to combo with it and oh, yeah. I have to that combo. Oh, I didn't I haven't even done that, but of course, wow, they never come back. Yeah. Roth. Okay. I, I like that one. I think there's a three card combo too. I don't know it very well, but I know that uh Caleb D talks about it a lot. Um I think it's like Relic Warder and like O Ring and Parallax Wave, something like oh, that. Oh sure, yeah, and you can make a loop. Right. Oh, and you just exile all the creatures forever. That's neat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. I'm going to have to play Parallax Wave more now that I put it on my list. Yeah, it's not that hard to get, though. It's normally weird. So two more cards. Second mm-hmm. last one. Maybe a little bit of a deep cut. I hope it is. Envelop. It's an instant. It costs one blue. Counter target sorcery spell. One mana counters are seriously underrated. That's what I think. I mean, Dispel is a mainstay of Popper. But where's Envelop? People are getting you with big sorceries, Haymaker sorceries. You should play Envelop there. That's what I think. I always played Envelop in my sideboard and spread fairies. And for Cube as well, I think it's interesting to have some different one-mana counters for blue so that, you know, the games start on turn one and one-mana spells fit in best when you're trying to fill out your curve to have a two-spell turn later. So one-mana spells mm-hmm. are very underrated. So that's why Envelop is my signature. Do you think you would main deck it? Uh, in the current Vintage Cube version? In or? the current Vintage Cube? Probably not, but I would love it as a sideboard. I think it would have to go in maybe a more themed cube. I'm looking at... I mean, there are some really intense sorceries in the cube. So maybe you could main deck it, actually. I'm taking a look right now. You know, every color has more sorceries than in, um, except for blue. And uh, I think most people would think that Dispel could maybe cut the cake in the cube. So, yeah, maybe I I would try Envelop. It wouldn't be the worst card in the Vintage Cube, Uh, but it might be the worst blue card. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it wouldn't be the worst blue card. I already see show and tell. Oh yeah, that's uh, it will stay one of the worst cards for a while, I think. People just oh. love it. Does that make yeah. envelop better or worse when your opponent plays a show and tell and you're staring at your envelop and you decide not to counter it? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, point to show and tell there. All right. And I'm I'm very excited for the last card on my list because it's a classic. If you haven't ever put this card in your deck, don't even know what to say. You definitely should. Swamp. (laughs) Let me tell you why. (laughs) Don't need to read it out, though. Yeah, do you need to know? Okay, first (laughs) of all, it's a basic land. That's a very important thing. Basics are the building block of everything. Wow, you need basics. I've been obsessed with basics and lands in general ever since I started. You know, the original arts from Beta, you know, I was buying Revised, of course, but it's the same art. And I don't know, something about it just grabbed me. 
and then visiting every different plane and seeing all the different lands. I just love it. I always collect basic lands. I have like, I can play almost every old border basic on Magic Online for my deck. Like I can just pick whichever one I want. I just love basic land. And the reason I pick Swamp instead of any of the others is because one, I've probably tapped Swamp more than any others. And two, I think it's the land that has had been, it's had the worst art over time. Just drab stuff, uh, indistinct, dark, not dynamic, boring. And in my signature spellbook, I would want to have a dynamic, well-lit, exciting swamp, like something from Mirage, maybe. You know, there's uh, the Mirage swamp art where the light's coming in from the side. That's what I'm talking about, something like that. So a very beautiful swamp. That's what I want in my spellbook to finish things off. And you can tap it to activate your Volvox stronghold. And to cast your kill garden game. Yeah, I like that. I know you mentioned um, what, Nightmare too when you were talking about like black eyes, right? So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I swamps since way back. You know, him to Torak, Order of the Ebon Hand, Mind Twist. You know, we were all about it. So I know you didn't only invite me on to talk about eight of my favorite <laughs> cards ever. Yeah, we will just start with talking about uh, the Vintage Cube currently and what you like to, to play there, just for uh, players to learn a bit from you. You have been performing quite well this this time around, I think. Yeah, so thank you for noticing that. I uh, have been happy with my performance as well. Uh, I didn't used to always keep stats, but I do now. And so I have, uh, I think it's 26 trophies out of... I don't know. I just did a few today, so I don't remember the number. I had quit, but I'm back in the... I think it's 73, 26 out of 73. Uh, so that's a little better than a third, 35, 36% ship rate. Now, as to my draft style, um, in the past, I've definitely played everything, Storm, Combo, whatever. But um, I don't know, especially due to the influence of my playgroup, I'll just give them a big holler right now. Everybody in Wizard Das, uh, Fabian, Bakes, McTavish, Young Shaman, Benji C. Hope I'm not Goblin Waltz. Caleros, Grappling for Rang. So they've all helped me a lot with uh, feedback on how to play. But um, I'm not into big cheats. I play value card. I just mm-hmm. want to like get ahead by playing fair match. I'm just going to play my two mana, two power hitters and put equipment on them or like cast Inquisition of Kozilek before them and get there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really like that kind of magic, but I also think that it's the most effective in the cube, in this vintage cube list. It's the best way to approach it. I kind of like drafting the same mean Thalia decks over and over, but it it is just really effective. Just be Mardu and disrupt their plan. Yeah. Because... It is the point, though. Disrupt their plan. Not just play some white dogs and hope to raise them. That is, I think, not enough. You need a little bit of disruption in there. No, that that is exactly the key. The disruption is the key. The taxing them with the Thalia. The removing their piece with the Leonin Relic Warder. The putting their permanent on top with unexpectedly absence. They have to redraw it. You know, those kind of beatings where they fall behind while you get ahead. That's 
the key of it. So, and that's how white does it. And then black does it by, you know, hand hate. So they trade their one mana spell for the spell that's going to get the other player out of trouble later. And then they play dark confidant on turn two. And all of a sudden they're getting twice as many cards. So it's very easy for them to trade one for one. And now we're going to get into red, the third part of Mardu. And uh, I know that both of you had some questions. Maybe you heard some rumors that I never draft red. Now that's not entirely true, but I do avoid red and it's for uh, one or two sort of interrelated reasons. I don't know how you divide the reason. Anyway, I took a mini break and uh, when I came back, I was struggling a little bit, a little rusty. Bobby told me that I should just not draft red decks anymore. So I did and I just started winning more immediately. Hmm. But the reason that that happened is because red is bad in vintage. And there's sort of two ways that it's bad. One way that it's bad is that it's intentionally nerfed. And that's a design decision by wizards. And I understand it because maybe people don't find it fun to lose to mono red when they're trying to fool around in vintage. So that part of it I get, but it definitely makes red less attractive to draft. The other part of it is red's inherent color weakness that is, you know, is seen throughout magic uh, and they're always trying to solve. But I think maybe comes especially to the forefront in Vintage Cube because, you know, its strengths are undercut and its weaknesses are magnified. You know, red's the fast color, but everyone's fast. Red has burn, but all the creatures are so colossal and all the planeswalkers have so much loyalty that it never is going to do anything. Red can never get card advantage, and even green can just like put piles of cards straight into their hand whenever they want now, but red still can't. So red just can't keep up. Uh, So when I do draft red, the key to me is to keep it focused on control and not being mono. In other cubes, especially the legacy cube, big red i love like red control with like inferno titan and rocks and you know it's an environment where the burn is more effective at controlling the early threats and i mean i love to draft red there but in vintage cube i just don't think it's working for the reason do you um like the wildfire type decks or also those are not uh, yours your gen sorry the witch decks wildfire oh wildfire well I mean, in general, I love Wildfire. I bought Portal 2 pre-constructed starters just to get the Wildfires when I was a kid. So I love Wildfire. But I do not love Wildfire because it's just too slow, too bad, too many things live through it. I mean, you can still win games of Magic. What a blowout to lose four lands and have all your creatures burned to a crisp. But it's just not reliable enough. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. It actually, oh, I was going to say it falls into a category of like big mana expenditures that kind of aren't worth it, where you like wildfire them or you mind twist their hand away. And then because cards are so insane in 2021, they just need to pick one up off the top of the deck and they basically undo everything that you just did to them. So certain types of like, blowouts like that are becoming less effective so would you say that's the case for cards like ravages of war and armageddon too yes yes those cards i do not cast 
I have run zero ravages, zero Armageddon's levels. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's where I've been to for a little bit, but it was interesting. Uh, I wanted to tie in what you were talking about with um, what I was seeing recently in the mocks uh, in Vintage Cube, because uh, there's some really interesting stuff there. Pretty crazy that uh, Vintage Cube of all things is now turning into this like competitive event. The first thing I wanted to say is I saw, you know, white black crafted with an insane amount of respect. I mean, pack one, pick one, blade splicer over channel. Like everyone <laughs> who watched that was, yeah, was shocked. Okay. Um, I don't mean to be contrarian, but zero percent on taking channel there for me. I've also not channeled once. Just don't take channel. Don't put it in your deck. Definitely always take blade splicer over it, and you will win more. I mean, this is all from the context for me. Uh, well, not all. You know, it's always a combination. But one of the motivations is that these strategies win more. Yeah. So, uh, but continue. But I, I, I think that there's a us maybe I don't know how big the group is. Are we a small group, a large group? But some players know that channel is not the pick. It's not it's a funny to me group. because I'm the kind of person yeah. who would take blade splicer, but I wouldn't take it because I think or know it to be better. I would take it because I enjoy playing <laughs> aggressive decks like that more. And part of the reason I enjoy it is because I've been more successful with them. So I don't really have anything like empirical to back it up or like anecdotal, but <laughs> it's actually not, uh, you know, totally outlandish to me, I guess. Yeah. I so there's, I think, two things going on. One is the commentators want to play to tropes and whatnot. So, or like what focuses people's excitement. And so channel is a card that does that, you know, channels a card that wins the game on turn two. So that's, that's what Vintage Cube is supposed to be about. So that's why people look at that card and think it's the best. It's restricted in Vintage. It's very powerful. Of course, that, that has to be the pick. But unfortunately, it's inconsistent, and that is its undoing. When channel's good, A+. Plus. When channel's bad, it's a lot worse than Blade sure. Splicer. Yeah, but um, it, it, there a lot of uh, what factors into people's picks at that point, when they just play in the random queue, not on the box, is what they enjoy doing. And if they are into big cheats, which seems like both of you are not um, into, then maybe you do take the channel, even though it might lead to a low Sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many different reasons to draft. And even, a, you know, any one player will draft with different reasons at different times. Exactly, you know, I usually, yeah. I'm drafting to win, but I'm also, I'll draft to explore different decks, try new cards. It's not only about winning, but I do, I just find that tracking my win rate and trying to win more provides a satisfying focus to my game. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of like why I do it. Just trying to like, it's a fun challenge. Make as few mistakes as you can. Uh, solve the cube mm -hmm. as best as you can. Um, so continuing from this, like, again, the mox coverage. So yeah, another thing is, and this was a lot more surprising to me. So I've been playing a lot of mono white for a while, but um, only recently have I really started seeing people play more white black. Like I've seen J-Bro play a lot of like Orzov, but you know, he's J-Bro. He can, like, trophy with Jund. I don't, I don't really know what he's doing, but he's he's good at it. <laughs> but specifically, like, <laughs> like YouTube Live, like you were talking about Orzov, the guy who trophied the Vintage Cube draft, like, in the finals. Technically, it was Esper, right? He had, like, one or two blue cards, something, but 
Yeah, Tiny Splash. Right, but it was like Teferi, which is a card that you just splash it if you can, like, of course. That dude is underrated in Vintage Cube. <laughs> yeah. Which a five mana. Oh, it was the five mana one? Oh, that one's appropriately. <laughs> Only yeah, three yeah that's underrated. I agree with that. The three mana one is, it hoses so many things, and it's, yeah, it's obnoxious. One other thing I was thinking about just in terms of picks, the other super contentious one, of course, is Elspeth, Sun's Champion, over Mana Vault. Which to me, like, like, I can come up with, like, a rationale for it, but it's still, like, I'm still kind of shocked. Like, I can understand the Blade Splicer one, I, I feel like, a lot more easily. We just don't play Mana Vault. I mean, Mana I don't know JMM, but we are of one mind, clearly, when it comes to draft. Because when I watched the draft, I don't remember all the picks exactly, but I thought that he really understood the Vintage Cube on a level that most of the other drafters did not. He really knew like what strategy to go for. And I think like Mana Vault is just Your crypt, I think. Uh, I don't know. It's a card disadvantage card. You're trading cards for speed. And that deck doesn't need to do that because it controls the early game with efficient answers and then just deploys its threats when it's ready. So it doesn't want a mana vault sitting around doing one. And that's the same reason why Mana Crypt is a little... I think, I think it was a Crypt, but really. It's still crazy. It's still crazy. It was a Crypt? Yeah, yeah. But the same logic between either. You can't have the Crypt hanging around, tinging you. It's not worth the jump in your early game. Now, of course, it depends which cards. It depends how your deck's built. And even though I said all that, I mean, you're still going to put Mana Crypt in your deck sometimes. But I could... I can totally understand taking a different card because you just don't want to give yourself that liability when you're playing control like that. Yeah, yeah fair enough. And uh, I don't know, some people might think, oh, first pick Blade Splicer, that's an aggressive deck. But I find that, well, they're so flexible, they're a spectrum, and that's also part of what makes them so powerful, you know? You can pair mm -hmm. the aggressive cards with the disruptive cards, or you can pair the controlling cards with the the disruptive cards with the finishers and they both kind of work well but he was definitely on the bigger end in that draft i thought uh so i felt his deck was more controlling going for the mm -hmm. long game uh, yeah but that also like shows that the priority for you should pretty obviously be the disruptive cards and then you fill it out with whatever's coming yes i agree with that that that's the key that is the key thing both like my philosophy to magic and specifically what I think is on meta right now in the vintage. Disrupt what they are doing. Make them pay a tax. Make them lose a card from there. Blow up their rock. I miss <laughs> Manglehorn. You gotta... <laughs> Do you... Um, how happy are you with the the Valky coming in for uh, Brain Maggot or something? Oh, Brain Maggot. So... A little torn. I wish that they had at least one of those that would hit anything instead of having them all be limited. But Valky's a fun new card, so I can't really complain. And I've done some good things, you know. Yeah. You take their Theros Titan and start getting attack triggers right away. I don't know. It, the, the clone thing just has myriad application. It's like Vorinclex. It, there's things you don't even think about until you do it or see it. And then you're like, wow, Valky's great. So 
you would say that it's a slight downgrade in power level, but uh, a big upgrade in fun. Uh, I'd say it's probably an upgrade in power level too. I oh, just, okay. I, I wish that there were an effect that was, you know, without restriction. Yeah. But I think the extra point of power and the clone effect, and we haven't even mentioned that Valky <laughs> has another side. So you just get a second card in your hand whenever you draw it. I think those give it the edge over just some mesmeric fiend knockoff. So um, I guess maybe a last note on the topic of Vintage Cube. So one of the things that I thought was super interesting about the fact that we had you know, a Vintage Cube mox is I don't know if we've ever seen anything from the alternative play calendar be in this, like in anything nearly this competitive. So I was, you know, on the one hand, I feel like this is great for the kind of fun events that we're able to do on Magic Online. Like it's a great way of promoting them. Not that Vintage Cube really needs promotion. It's, you know, on the calendar, like feels like half the year and tons of people play it. 13 weeks in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Quarter of the year, I guess. I'm wondering though, whether you guys think it's like net good or bad as, or is that just like too simplistic of a way to say it for it to be in this kind of competitive scene? Because I mean, with, you know, single copies of the power nine, it's gotta be one of the, presumably one of the higher variance competitive formats there is, right? Or not? So, well, so maybe not. I went over 70% of my matches. JMM had an even more impressive win statistic. And I happen to know that he mainly plays single elimination drafts, which have better players on average. So, you know, that's a con that's consistency. I mean, yes, sometimes you do get Black Lotus out, but I don't know. Do we want to watch <laughs> chess? Should the best drafter and player win every time? Or should there be a little bit of up in the airness? So... I'm okay with the variance, but I still understand what you mean because it's a bit of an imbalanced environment. So it could feel frustrating to put something very valuable on the line when yeah. such, I don't know, such unfun things and such quick things like turn one channel Emrakul can send you packing without a chance to have even played a card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a bit weird, but, um, I was just thinking a little bit about what would happen if you would just cut the power nine from it, but that would change the format by so much. I think that it wouldn't be recognizable as, as the vintage cube anymore. And it would also immediately strange the strategy that we just described in, in a way that makes it less exciting, right? Yeah. They would call that yeah. the legacy. Thing. Yeah. You're right. It's still a it's... little bit of a difference between them, but. Yeah. Well, it's less popular. People want the moxes and they want to see the moxes because they create fast, <laughs> exciting turns. I love that they're using the cube competitively. I think it's fun, but yeah, with the proviso that don't do it for anything too serious. But these small 16-player events, something like the Invitational would be great to have a cube at. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect sort of format for these smaller showcase events, actually. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see more cubes in competitive scenes in general. Like, that's one of the things that's so exciting for me about this. Because, like, Vintage Cube, uh, there are parts I like about it, for sure. I've had, you know, a pretty good amount of success in it myself in the past. At the same time, like, I feel like opening the door for 
potentially other cubes and similar events is probably the most significant thing about the mocks to me this time. Well, I love the showcase cubes series. I love the opportunity to play a bunch of different cubes. But if you look at the number of participants mm, in the yeah. leagues, the vintage cube will have two to three times as many. Yeah, so a non-vintage cube getting really serious competitive attention. I don't know if we're there yet, but I, I mean, I'd like to see it. Or like, I don't know, maybe a cleaned up version of the vintage cube, the, the competitive vintage cube or something where they took out all the nonsense and just asked people to like really have at it with the real strongest vintage cube they could make. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's an idea. I do think that the current version of the vintage cube is probably still the best that they ever had. This or the iteration before are, they are just very good, in my opinion. I agree with you. I have a bit of a reputation in my play group as a complainer. It's because I'm critical. I just want magic to be better. I want the cube to be better. I want my play to be better. I always want everything to be better. I think that's a natural thing to want. I was trying to rank all the cubes I played recently. I thought about my experiences playing all the showcase cubes last year and this. Yeah, sure. The vintage cube, despite like my complaints that there are some cards that just don't make sense and that but it's a lot of the archetypes are traps, it really is just, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely their best cube. It's the best version of their best cube. There's just something like uh, addicting. That's why I have so many trophies. I can't stop playing. So I guess we could use this as a transition to talk about um those topic and questions for you so yeah that's um how i got the idea of inviting you on the podcast it's i don't know what i which which channel i watched but some some twitch channel and i saw you in chat and you were talking to the streamer maybe it was kiki jackson i don't know but you were saying that you really don't like pauper or peasant cubes and or like and maybe you, you chose even stronger words for that. <laughs> yeah, probably it was a bit stronger words because I really felt a sting because we both do like test cubes and why that is we will come to. But I really felt a sting and I really had to hold myself back to not derail the, the chat discussion. But uh, I took a mental note and I knew you were on our server and like actively um, helping us with our cubes. So I thought oh, we should really have a, a nice discussion with uh, Two Blade here about this because you probably will have very good points and just having a little bit of a, an argument here I think should be great. Sure. Well, let me start and say that I don't want to have an argument because the beauty of magic, one of the absolute best things and one of the reasons why it's so popular is that it's not just a game, it's a game system and there are a zillion different ways to play and you can just play what you like, how you like. So this is an opinion thing. Now, I'm going to tie it to what I think are objective design points. But still, I mean, people like different things. So I'm just going to say why I don't like it. And not that I, I think it's bad. But I do kind of think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. It's good. Um, so the problem is that the games are not dynamic. Whoever starts ahead in one of these games stays ahead. And they either fall into one of two categories. Either there is no way to affect the board and they turn into a giant morass, a big board stall, 
or they're going the pauper route and inviting these broken old cards that would never be at common today to the party. <laughs> and then they're breaking the board stalls with uh, Pestilence or Evansar's Justice or uh, Slaughter with Buyback. Why not? In your, you know, if you're allowing uncommons. I think it was uncommon. I don't know. There's so many. It doesn't have to yes, be that. There's so many crazy old cards that are played in Popper because they have, you know, they did it one time at Common and said never again. So either you're in games that can't change or you're in games dominated by extremely miserable cards. And that is basically why I'm not into those environments as a rule. Okay. I, I did expect um, a little bit of a different take at first. I do think you make very good points about what you really don't want your environment to become, right? You do want it to end in a clean way, in a reasonable time frame. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest problems with one of my cubes. Um, the, the peasant cube is just like very, very, very low power level for a peasant cube even, where games just take a long time. But there are still ways in there to, to break board stores and to end games. But it's really something you have to keep in mind, I agree. So maybe I can um, talk about how we came to have so much pauper and more peasants than pauper uh, in, our, in our group. And it's just the, the price factor, basically, combined with another factor, which is the talk about it with other people factor. So, yeah, when we play our cubes, I mean, you also did that. We are lending out cards to basically strangers. Like, I mean, they become more than strangers relatively soon, but maybe the first, second time you really don't know who you're dealing with. And just lower rarity cards tend to be cheaper. Sure. Of course, I understand that. You know, when you're talking design restrictions in Magic, it's not just internal. There's, yeah. You're not only designing from within the game. You're designing from without. So, of course... Price, logistics, what's convenient, that's going to play a big factor. Yeah. Um, I ran into similar sort of things. So I talked about doing the online cube, you know, with the Power 9 when they first came. You know, I don't want to share my Power 9 with complete strangers. So we had to make sure that anybody that joined our group was trustworthy. And, uh, you know, it, it did in a way slow the growth of the group. You know, you can't. Lots of people are like, hey, can I cube with you? And you're like, well, you're a complete stranger and I have to trade you like $500 worth of magic cards. So yeah. no, sorry, that would be nice, but it's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, so I totally understand that. And so if you want to create the community, it is easier to build around a cheap cube. Yeah. I mean, obviously that doesn't have to restrict you to pauper, but there comes then the, like the second argument for it is, if you talk on forums, in chats or whatever, or on Twitter, people about your cube, telling them that it's a, a peasant cube, like very quickly informs what cards they can suggest and which not, which when you talk about like a cost or something can put much, a much bigger burden on the discussion, like always have to double check the prices and then you always need to think about is it paper, is it, uh, oh yeah, is it online? But I do see that Often you want effects that you don't have at uncommon or common, but yeah, as Maro was saying on his podcast that uh, fiction free creativity, like you have to find a solution within the constraints you have. And putting constraints on yourself is a thing that happens like super often in magic. Like all the different constructed forms put some constraint on you, right? Except for 
for vintage, I guess, even that. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. And like, I, I mean, sure, I'll mention a format one drop singleton that I like to play. That's not a balanced or normal format. You know, you can only play one mana spells, no X spells, but, you know, I like to dally in it every now and then. So, yeah, like you say, some restrictions are good. I will say, though, that it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine, and I know that peasant doesn't imply this or pauper necessarily, but when they take their cues for cube design from a constructed format, like, the, the vintage ban list is not the basis for what's fun in cube. nor is the modern or legacy ban list and i would also say that when you're talking about rarity you're playing with fire a little bit in that way too now of course rarity is how they modulate this in normal sets but cutting off a rarity in that set wouldn't work and i feel like if you're going to use that as your restriction you do have to be very careful and i guess i guess that's my problem that I looked for solutions that I liked that, you know, fit the, you know, being common and also being fun and providing interplay. And they just, they don't quite exist, but maybe they'll print some cards in the future because I mean, how long have you been cubing? I've been cubing since 2012 or whenever it came out and they've printed so many cards since then that have changed cube. It's a whole new game. What, one of the things that, um, I, I, I do strongly believe is that power level in itself just always exists within the format that you are playing and that this makes cube so different from constructor format or something like that. Like you, you are not bound within like a power level constraint. You can shift it down or up however you like as long as the environment in itself is fun to play. Sure, of course. The old Mirrodin trick. Let's make Shatter better than Terror. Yeah. <laughs> but also just, you can just make like three mana, three, three vanillas into good cards and can still have an interesting environment in theory. Wait, that's but then you <laughs> a bad card? No, you could make it like into a good card. But um, as you said, you need to be very careful with not stepping into these, these traps that you, I think, rightfully brought up that they are easy to step into too. Like, have everything devolve into a board stall and make it uninteractive by taking the options away because just stepping anywhere is uh, is bad and then at some point somebody maybe draws their falter or whatever which would break the board stall but it's not an interactive way to end the game yeah i mean i played a maz's peasant cube last year i didn't do well so maybe it's also because I'm bad at these cubes that I don't like them. I, I did but, enjoy Amaz's cube quite a bit. But I had, uh, I had fun with Amaz's cube, despite it being, you know, a peasant cube. But also, like, the be- sometimes it felt like the best thing to do was cast Bayloth Null and then recur it, and nobody could ever stop you from getting yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was, or it is a very value-focused um, I would definitely say that's one of the bigger, um, like, weak points of lower-powered cubes. That kind of interaction that's just not not easy to disrupt. Like, maybe not very many like graveyard hate cards or whatever it is. Yeah, the problem with with the graveyard hate at lower rarities really is that they are then only that. Like, it's not like um, what is the the ooze scavenging ooze? Scavenging ooze, yes. Which is like a graveyard hate graveyard interaction card. 
which also does reasonable things in other ways. And the lower raw power, uh, lower rarity, you don't really get that that much. Well, let yeah. me introduce you, not for Popper, only for Peasant, but from Time Spiral and Time Spiral Remastered, we have <laughs> Stone Cloaker. Huh? When Stone Cloaker enters the battlefield, exile target card from a graveyard. So yeah, if you have a blink, blinkish archetype, then or like so, blinkish synergies in there, then this becomes a. That's my little tidbit for you for graveyard. I can't come up with a better one. But you're right that in general, it is very limited. In it. And I think that that's just how common cards are. They can't do too many things. Um, at, at least back in the day, they couldn't. Like they were either like extremely powerful, but then they were like a little bit straightforward, like slaughter. Yes. Like, that card is incredibly powerful, but it's just a over and over recurring removal spell in the end. But just with, with card time, like we got a few very interesting cards. For example, Sibella just really doesn't feel like an uncommon. Like putting that into your uh, peasant cube, and I think it will go in very many, almost feels like cheats. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you just, you look at the top cards and then you cast. That's yeah, crazy. For good measure, it also makes you the icicles. Yeah, that feels like a rare card. And that's kind of what I was talking about before, where like maybe new designs will fix the fact that pauper and peasant don't have the solutions that would make the format fun for me yeah i can i can i can see that though but i also really enjoyed playing finites limited as garfield intended um cube which yeah i, I played that <laughs> no, i had fun that was, that was a bizarre draft <laughs> two monocolor decks <laughs> that's never happened before but uh it definitely worked out for you well I have to say, though, I was a little bit surprised when you told me. I'm going to look up your cube. I was a little surprised when you told me that there had never been any monocolored decks drafted. Because I'll tell you my rule of thumb for cube design. You need to have more cards, more more lands than there are gold cards for mm -hmm. each section. Or there's just going to be no reason to be gold. You'll just be monocolored. I draft monocolor in Community Cube most of the time because there's no fixing. There's less fixing than in Vintage yeah. Cube. And I mean, that's a that's a choice for the environment, but I think people, uh, designers, underrate how much fixing is needed to effectively get people to go to color because otherwise, why don't you just like run them over with and crop crashers and have perfect mana every game for sure that was actually a thing i was thinking a lot about at the beginning of the cube um like testing mono red versus mono white and that kind of thing um i will say again that's one of the biggest kind of like the sideboard hate stuff like mana fixing is one of the biggest hang-ups just for cubes in general with restrictions like corset cube has been my go-to example for this the lack of shock lands and fetches and you know even original duels if you want to go that far back <laughs> they should be in every queue but there are some problems yeah. with that um so my my take i guess um is basically that cube exists in this weird space between limited and constructed and basically uh i mean yes like Jakob said our level is a thing like within environments but it's also a thing like unto itself and like the higher you go in power level, the closer you get to constructed decks, right? Like the closer you get to, you know, real like tournament performing decks that have done crazy things. And <laughs> the farther down you go, right? Um, the closer you get to just retail limited, just 
out of the box, like you just drafted the set. I feel like that just inherently appeals to like very different people. Like I, for instance, I've played a lot of Vintage Cube, Legacy Cube, that kind of stuff in the past. The more it shows up, the less I play of it. And part of that to me is because for me, it feels like less replayable just because like, I mean, like you said, we had it, what, a quarter of the last year. But at the same time, like I've just never been someone who is really, really into higher power level. And I think Jakob is the same. I'm just from conversations I've had with them. I have friends who are the complete opposite. People who, you know, like you, Tublave, just Vintage Cube is basically like their format. And like the lower powered environments are just, you know, not appealing. They don't, they don't want to. <laughs> not quite like that. Not quite like that. <laughs> I don't, I don't think Vintage Cube is the best environment. Actually, the old Legacy Cube okay. was my favorite. I think taking the power out makes it more fun. But okay. you know, a, a happy medium, basically, for me, is you know taking out the very highest variance cards, but still allowing the cards that change the direction. So basically, of the like sort of the mm -hmm. critique I had about um, Vintage Cube as like a vent for the mocks, but you know, with the caveat that like it wouldn't be nearly as popular, probably. Yeah, I. I mean, I don't understand that fully either because, you know, you talk about liking the lower power level and even I like, you know, I said that old legacy cube was my favorite. I think the currently like the current legacy list, which we haven't seen much lately is a little, I don't know, they, they've done a lot of changes and they weren't always paying attention. There's a lot of like half combos and cards that were there for a reason, but don't have that reason and stuff. Yeah. It's a bit in shambles. Yeah, it is a bit in shambles. <laughs> Perfect word. So the reason I started getting into cube design was just because I'd played a lot of limited. It was a time when I was trying to like qualify for big events by playing competitive limited. And I didn't try very hard. You know, as a student, I was definitely <laughs> busy with other things. And I had some good finishes, qualified for some uh, bigger tournaments and that kind of thing. But it always felt like what would happen is I would... You know, because these tournaments are almost always sealed and sealed, you know, we can talk about <laughs> whether or not that's a good format for a long time, probably. But basically, like in terms of <laughs> like modern day limited, it feels like sealed is a relatively high variance format. And like, here's an example, just like a pretty easy one from the current set. So you have coma, right? The giant uh, serpent thingy. It's like nearly unbeatable. You can exile it, I guess. You could maybe counter it, <laughs> maybe. Um, can you? I don't. I think it can't be countered. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Not surprised. <laughs> anyway, the point being, like, I was following a player who was in. I think it might have been a PTQ qualifier. Uh, anyway, this player was eight and zero, and then lost to Coma multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> And just just like that was dream crushed by basically a single card from multiple opponents. And I feel like that's just so devastating. Like you tried so hard, you did everything you could and you lose to a single card. And so for me, cube design was about how can I create a similar experience that, you know, requires a lot of like card evaluation skill. But, you know, there's still variance, obviously, because any game where you're drawing cards, there's going to be a ton of variance. 
maybe those cards don't single-handedly win games. And so that's why, like, you know, for me, lower power level is just like, <laughs> that was my jumping off point for cube, I guess. And I've designed some cubes where, like, you know, there are crazy, like, three-card combos, for instance, and things like that. But, you know, <laughs> I... I've definitely spent the most time on my peasant cube. You know, so many interesting things. I don't even know which way to go. I mean, one thing, wow, there's a huge spread from obviously Coma, the most unbeatable card in the universe, to peasant cubes. But uh, <laughs> I have yeah. to uh, disagree about sealed being higher variant. Win rates are higher in sealed. Skilled players win more in sealed. So it's actually lower variant, but you feel the variance differently because it comes in the form of coma cosmo serpent and that's definitely like a big effect in like sealed deck tournaments when you get to the end of the day it's going to be great players and players that open coma facing off mm, yeah uh i'm the coma off my head there by the way <laughs> Maybe it feels like there's more variance because of the ways that you lose a game of sealed, but good sealed players are just absolutely terrifying. You can have 80% match win rates in sealed. I agree to an extent. I guess the other half of it would be like, it's not that the players who are very good are going to, you know, get crushed uh, by these bombs and not be able to come back. It's more that like with sealed with the higher number of packs you know you have increased chances every player has increased chances to either that's true or with um and like for instance <laughs> just going back to like monquette where i really started these like competitive sealed events you just had like unbeatable cards in every color uh like some at rare some at mythic but gods you had cards like glory bringer and like <laughs> That's just, it's it's really hard for me to agree that just because certain players are more consistent, it doesn't mean like the format has more or less variance on the whole, because I feel like that's... But, that, but that's what variance means. Well, does that mean if that? You, I mean, yeah, if, if, like, let's say that it's a game with no variance, the, either like it's a game well, where the best player always wins, it's 100%. Or perhaps it's random. It's a coin, not not a coin flip. Let's say like the person who goes first always wins. So it's 50-50, but you know, it depends on somebody who's going first. But so magic though is a game like flipping coin. And so over the long run, you are you're gonna trend back towards 50%. And the higher you can keep it above 50%, it means that there's less variance basically, because there's fewer events that are happening that reduce your win rate randomly. So the thing that I'm thinking about differently, and again, I agree that some of the dominant sealed players, like I've watched a lot of them on Twitch for years. Sure. Super Michael Jacob, yeah. what a master. Sure. I guess the part of it where I still see a lot of variance is the worst players. The worst players either doing extremely well with, you know, cards that are not particularly good, uh, plus like a bomb, a bomb rare, bomb mythic, something like that, or not opening that card and doing terribly. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the twenty percent. Like, I mean, I'm not saying there's no variance. There, there is. There's lots, but it just it's less than in draft. I swear, <laughs> like measurably less. It just feels different. I don't know if it's actually the case. I would need to look into more of the definition of variance there. 
but I, I think you can have higher variance and still have more agency and more room for mistakes. And when I see myself building seal tools, I'm always very, I'm not doing it very often. And that's why I'm always very insecure when I'm doing it. And I believe I do make a lot of mistakes, which reduce my win percentage. But that doesn't mean that the variance is uh, lower because of that. The variance is still there as a given, but I still can fuck it up greatly. Yeah, yeah, I guess. How should I express this? It's, uh... So I still don't think that sealed is a bad format because of the variance because it still gives you a lot of agency, but it's hard. And when the variance comes up, it can be very crushing to you. Just as devastating. Leader, oh my goodness, the bombs in yeah. sealed. I mean, I don't know. Just thinking back on all the formats, all the crazy cards. Yeah, I mean, they're mythics, they're rares, and they <laughs> they have no answers. Yeah, so what I wanted to say earlier is that I came to Cube Design for, for a little bit of a different reason. Because what you said, the, the old Muradin thing, what fascinates me the most is just thinking about a, a concept or an idea or maybe a card and then thinking about what would an environment need to look like to make that playable yes. and intriguing. And that is what I love about you. And I could see that doing at very low power level, but also at very high power level. Yeah, I see a lot of cubes uh, that are basically like that. And I love it. I mean, that that's the beauty of cube. We all have our pet cards. I'm always, I was always trying to like, get cards that I wanted in the cube and you'd be like, this card's terrible, take it out. Or this card's too good, what were you thinking? But it was just because it was a card I loved and wanted to play with. And sometimes I didn't get the surrounding environment right, like you said. Yeah, it, I guess there's a relatively high pay rate to that, but still, it's, um, I think that's one thing that makes you great. Yeah. Also, uh, Finite, you mentioned a little earlier about the growing division between cube and normal limited. And I've noticed that too. And I think it's driven by uh, sort of the same effects that have caused the growth of commander. And it, it is maybe the draft parallel of it because it's going to attract the same sort of mindsets, brewers, casual players, people that don't want to be cutthroat competitive necessarily but still want a really um, deep strategic game to play. That also, just like the way the influence of Commander has fed back into Magic Design, the same thing is happening in Normal Limited with the evolution of Master Sets and the various showcase cubes and even how complicated the new Normal Draft formats are. Like Ikoria played like a cube. Uh, Kaldheim famously has more text per card than any other set. So it, it's interesting that that division is both growing in a way. Some people are getting more and more into cube. Cube's becoming more of just its own thing. People will play only cube, but then the surround, like the normal limited environments are also becoming more cube-like because of popularity. Yeah, that's true. Oh. Yeah, that's where, I think that's where some very good words you chose there. Um, <laughs> have to agree. There. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's definitely true. Like you hear now that Commander is like the biggest format in Magic, which is just kind of an astounding thing. But at the same time, like <laughs> in a world where, you know, COVID exists, maybe webcam Commander is like a, an easier way to get into the game, right? I mean, not too many people playing at LGSs right now, not too many like GPs going on or anything like that. So yeah, I mean, and they're, 
there are just a ton of people who like playing for fun. You know, whether, like you said, whether they're brewers, whether they're casual players, people like playing Magic not not just to win. And it's funny because I find myself definitely like on both sides of that fence, especially in something like Vintage Cube. I like trying to win whenever possible. And something like Commander, which I enjoy too, I like trying to do like goofy, like synergistic things, things that aren't cutthroat or even close. So yeah, I mean, I feel sort of a dichotomy the same way. Like I, I don't play PTQs. I, I'm not like into competitive play like that. But when I'm playing cube, I try to play my best. I want to win. So there's like there's another direction that's not like it's not organized play, but you still you know you want to do well. It's fun. Also, like when you you cube with your friends, you know it's a little different than cubing with the randoms on magic online you know you can face off in some really challenging matchups against like people that you know are great on magic that's a lot of fun it is but it's also so intimidating i think that that is really why i'm so good at cube is starting with that play group that i mentioned the cube libre group there were a lot of very good players in that group Fabian, who's in the top of the leaderboard. Who kid, who's in the top of the leaderboard? Can't stop farting. A previous cube board winner. Those were people that I was cubing. We got really far ahead of everybody for a bit. Going back to uh, the Masters Edition flashbacks. I don't know if you guys know Ironic with a K on the end. That's your Magic Online username. The first Masters Edition flashback. I was just kind of playing that on my own. You know, I did. Recently, nothing really to write home about. Then I ran into this player, and we were both passionate about trying to like solve the format and you know doing as well as possible. And they told me like this three mana zero two that's like one in a white, prevent a damage to any target. Like that's going to be one of the best commons in the second Masters edition. I thought about it. And I was like, oh, vacation <laughs> medic or something, something like that. Yeah, um, and. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like I've played with healers before, you know, I guess I can kind of see that. Um, they were like, okay, meteor shower, that's like the best common or whatever it's called. And I just like, they weren't things that I like couldn't have figured out on my own, but like going into the format, like with the advice of this player who, again, is just a master. Like <laughs> I was just easily like on the top of the leaderboard. Like I wasn't trying very hard or drafting that many times a day or anything. But just like having having people like way above you bring you up, I think, and it's such a great feeling too to feel like you're able to learn and improve like that. Yeah, and it's amazing the gulfs of understanding that can exist in Magic because, like you said, like if you understand something about an environment, and especially these older environments where cards are can be very difficult to evaluate at first, maybe if you're not used to that style of design, they all look so bad. How do you know that the healer is amazing? But if you have some like knowledge edge, it can be crazy how much you win. I mean, look at Jay bro, you know, he just leaves us all in the dust with the number of trophies <laughs> that he gets. And yeah, 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 it blows me away how much skill there is in magic. That's also so great about streaming, especially the people who yeah. uh, don't mind quote unquote backseating. So if you, I really love discussing plays and ideas with um, players 
before they do it or even after the fact. Um, just getting an insight why they did things is so nice. Like that's like oh, it's so different in streaming compared to videos of old. Like the comments in videos, like they go maybe two three ways. Like somebody asks something, they get an answer and answer back or something. But then it's over. And in a in an active Twitch chat with um, people who are also actively thinking about the game at the same time, you can have great discussions. Yeah, I love that. I agree. 100% agree. I love Twitch for Cube because it brings a bunch of people together who wouldn't meet otherwise and they can share ideas and it gives them the context of the game. I've definitely learned some things in Twitch chat and uh, also just heard things that challenged what I thought, even if in the end I decided they were wrong, you know, just thinking about it improved my understanding of the situation. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, being wrong at Twitch shit is a classic, and I don't mind being wrong from time to time. I don't mind if other people are wrong from time to time. Part of it. If I'm wrong so often in Twitch chat. It's like, I can't believe I win so many cubes when I'm wrong so much in Twitch chat. <laughs> I feel like that's, you know, super hard as a content creator, right? Because, like, you have this added, like, entire like processing that you're trying to do like read and interact with people and like talk to people and you have people like calling you out on mistakes you made like left and right um but at the same time like how do you handle someone who calls you out on a mistake and they're wrong and you didn't make a mistake because i know there are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of content creators out there who are not very forgiving people when uh you know yeah that's a tricky chat. one i mean because geez I, yeah how do you handle people who are heckling you and wrong it takes some diplomacy it does take some diplomacy but i mean it, with, with with some um, chats if, if like if your chat is perfect i would say then the streamer doesn't even need to react to that all that much if people are wrong then somebody else in uh, chat will call that out or, yeah that's the beauty um, of the internet if you say something wrong somebody will come along to, along to correct that yeah like very often that happens but the good things that come of that is if somebody actually brings up a very interesting option and like this is, these are the moments where streaming is worth so much in my opinion it's streaming magic like most bases on uh, on twitch are completely different to that but magic is very special in that way i think yeah magic has a different community on twitch because uh, it's a different kind of game i mean yeah it's just its own thing it doesn't get nearly as big views as some but the the people that are on Twitch to watch Magic are usually more invested and just like it, yeah it is sort of it, I mean it became the online home of Magic in a way I'd say because there's no like wizard centered community yeah uh, ever since the demise of the forums whether that's a good or bad thing <laughs> I don't know <laughs> you talking about Gatherer pardon which forums are you talking about just like the, uh, I don't know, which... like around 2008, 2010, they used to have like web forums, like official wizards web forums about magic. Okay. And then they decided to stop hosting those. I think maybe because the moderation was too much, but I, I don't know for sure that that's the reason. That's just my guess that sort of fractured the online symptoms scattered to the winds. I mean, if you're doing magic online, uh, Twitch is where you go to interact with people. I'm always going to yep. Twitch streams to just like check the temperature, see what people think of different cards, different plays, whatever. You know, do you like the cube? 
Sure. You're, yeah, like a ubiquitous name on Twitch, I would say. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm curious. We've talked a lot about Cube. I have an idea, but I have to ask because I'm very curious. What is your opinion on Chaos Draft? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep it short if you want. That's uh... my whole opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's fine. I, let's just lump it into the category of sets that are like popular for a reason but not for me yeah i like more synergy in my environment it's like the same thing like almost well a similar route i'll say to the reason that i don't like popper or peasant cube it's that like nothing happens (laughs) all the cards are terrible and you're just eking out tiny little advantages and sometimes somebody like opened a mythic from some new set all right yeah that part not so much (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah i mean so you love that and i don't i mean that's just a different taste in magic i want i want more synergy i want cards that really like go together that like the connections to between the cards i guess i really like so i like synergies and combos like i love mirrodin draft format Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think so the difference is that you really like strong synergies that are really like paying you off and we do also like synergies, but we like small synergies and scraping the bottom of the barrel and seeing if we can tinker something together and hope to find like something worth something there. And if we do, then we're happy. So that's different. Well, I like scraping the bottom of the barrel sometimes too, but you need to have time limit cards in your cube. Something yeah. like Crater Hoof that says, okay, time's up. But maybe not Crater Hoof. That's just like, that's... That's the definitive game in. If somebody puts down yeah. the crater hoof, you're going to minus 50, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But that, it doesn't have to be such a severe effect. But that's what I mean. I like to have some real definitive statements available on the game. Yeah. But mm-hmm. sadly, um, as much as we need the game ender and cube, I think we also need to find a, an end to our discussion here. This was great. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I had a good time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. I didn't even say everything I had to say. Oh, well, so then maybe... That's just crazy. Maybe in, in, a, in a few episodes you can be back. Like, I really enjoyed this, so... Well, if I get a good reception, I would uh, love to return. Yeah. <laughs> Great fun. So... Yeah. Thanks again for joining and us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we will see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Happy evening. Bye.